You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Just laid down their lives for us. Well, hey, listen, today we are in our second part of a series that we started last week called Rebuild, Renew, and Restore. And we have been going through, started going through the book of Nehemiah. That's a great book. And there's a reason why that we're, we're doing this. It's because, listen, when we, when we see our city and we see our world, and for some of us when we see our homes, there's a need to have things in those areas be rebuilt, renewed, and restored. And Nehemiah gives us a glimpse of what it is for a, a city to be transformed, for a city to come into revival and reformation. And as God's sons and daughters, as his children, we have to cry out for that. And, and, and Nehemiah gives us a great picture. When we look at our city, we've got to begin to hunger for those things to say, God, we want to see you move in our cities. We want to see you move in our schools, in our workplaces, and we want to see you move in our homes. And so we begin to unpack this book. And for just a second, I want to talk, why, talk about why we're, we're even going through the book of Nehemiah and, and, and seeing this here. Nehemiah is unique in several different ways because it tackles two words that maybe you've heard in the church. Two words that just kind of get pushed around over and over again, and maybe you don't even understand them. It's the words revival and reformation. If you have been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard the word revival used. And even if you haven't been in church, if you've driven by a church sign, you've probably seen it on a church sign before. And maybe not, or maybe or maybe not, you've, you've heard the word reformation, but inside the book of Nehemiah, both of those words exist, and they're very powerful words on what it means for a city to be transformed. And, and if I just could for a second explain those words in, in as clear of a way as I possibly can. The word revival means this, is to get close or fiery for God, to get close to the fire of God. Let me explain it like this. That when somebody is revived, if you've ever watched a show before, a medical show before, and they put the paddles at, somebody's heart stops and they put the paddles on, they're being revived. That is the word revived to something that is on the cusp of death being brought back to life. But the word revival means something more. It doesn't just mean to, to shake off the things that are dead, but it means to, to become passionate about the things of God. And that's what happens in the book of Nehemiah. A little bit of history on Nehemiah. The people of Israel, the, the nation of Israel was broken into two parts, a northern and a southern kingdom. There was Israel on the top and Judah on the bottom, the southern kingdom. And inside Judah was Jerusalem. And over a period of 200 years, both the northern and the southern kingdom were brought into captivity. Why? Because of their disobedience, they turned their heart from God. They, they stopped loving God. Things began to die spiritually in them. And then when Nehemiah comes on the scene, Nehemiah is the third, the third attempt to bring the people of Israel back into their land. The first guy goes, within a hundred years span of time, the first guy goes, his name's Zerubbabel. And he's of the lineage of the high priest, and he goes and he tries to bring the people back into Jerusalem to restore sacrificial practice and to restore the temple. And there was no protection, so the enemies of God's people came around and, and just fragmented them, broke them apart. And then a guy named Ezra comes, a prophet, 
comes and brings another group of people down into Jerusalem. And his goal is to revive them, to get them to this place. But the scripture tells us that their hearts got turned away from God and they begin to do things and, and, and begin to interact with people that they shouldn't have interacted with and mixture came into them and it just got disrupted. And so when we read the book of Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah here and in chapter 1, what we talked about last week was this. Nehemiah gets a report about how Jerusalem is doing and finds out that it's utterly destroyed and the people are distraught. And so God burdens Nehemiah with this, with this huge burden that's so much bigger than him, so much more powerful than him. And he goes to prayer, and he begins to get God's heart on what it would take to revive his city. But he understands this, and what we're going to see through the book of Nehemiah is that it doesn't just end with revival. It doesn't stop there because there's another thing needed, which is reformation. And what reformation is, is this. It'd be like the light of God. Have you ever been in a dark room? When I get into my, I have my phone by my bed, my nightstand. And when I get up in the middle of the night, sometimes I'll take my phone and I'll just kind of hit the thing so I can see where I'm going. Here's the reason why. It's because when we first moved into our home, I had a TV in the middle of the room. And I was walking one morning to get up to go somewhere and it was really dark. And I'm just walking, I'm not running, I'm doing what normal people do, and my toe, just at normal speed, hit the corner of that TV. Come on with me, somebody. Ah, ha, ha. My toenail ended up coming off. Oh, yeah, it was nasty. Disgusting. I wasn't running, I wasn't trying to, like, Chuck Norris that thing. I was just walking, trying to get clothes on. And so many times what happens in, in the context of revival is we want to run, but we have not associated ourselves with the light of God because the word reformation means obedience. And see, when God gets fiery hot in our presence and we go, yes, God, I want more of you, and he's pouring out his spirit and great things are happening, the next thing that has to happen is this, God, we will follow you in obedience. And that's what reformation is. And this is what happens in the book of Nehemiah, because Nehemiah knows this, that the temple is important, but the reason why everything's starting to fail in Jerusalem is because there's no wall. And there needs to be a boundary so the people can begin to follow God. They can be revived by the presence of God and begin to follow God. And what happens through Nehemiah is city transformation. And that's what we have to hunger for in our lives we see this, uh, and this is why we're, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, because these two words are seen beautifully here. The second reason why we're looking at the book of Nehemiah is this, is because the book of Nehemiah challenges us. It pushes us out of us. When we come into the house of God, there is an important thing that happens there are times that must happen where we come and we receive the word and we work on us. We learn how to renew our minds. We learn how to hear the voice of God. We learn how to walk in peace. We learn how to restore and, and walk through forgiveness and walk in love. And we're dealing with us and we need to. We need that. But the other thing we need is the courage and the push to get out of ourselves. Because everything that happens to us is happening to us for a purpose, to 
be able to give to somebody else. And Nehemiah does that. Nehemiah says, listen, every good thing that's happened, the fact that Nehemiah was a cupbearer and had favor in front of the king, King Artaxerxes, he saw his life and he said, God, it's going to count for something more than just me being blessed. I'm going to have to go and, and give something. And that's really, listen, please hear me this in gentleness and love. That is the gospel. The gospel is meant to heal you, to, to help you, to grow you. But the gospel is not meant to be just contained in you. The gospel is intended to go out into the world. And everything that is happening to you is happening to you for a reason. So that you can begin to give that to somebody else. That's the second reason. And the third reason, I love this reason the most while we're looking at Nehemiah is because Nehemiah teaches us this God principle that sometimes we lose sight of, is that God loves using ordinary people. See, Nehemiah wasn't necessarily a prophet. He wasn't a priest, and he wasn't a king. And sometimes we get the wrong thinking, and we say, listen, God only uses those people to do big things, but you know what God does? God uses the available people to do supernatural things. Because truly, there are no ordinary people. God uses everybody who says, I'm willing to take on the burden that you are giving me and allow hope to come into my heart because you have called me to be a world changer. And Nehemiah teaches us this. It's a powerful, powerful thing that God used the cupbearer. Why? Because that cupbearer said, God, I'm going to be burdened with what burdens you. You see, God wants to use refinery workers, moms and dads, teachers, students, bartistas, mechanics. He wants to use all those people to do powerful things to see city transformation happen. But it takes a big, fat yes. And one of the things that interrupts our yes is this by saying, God, you can't possibly use me because I'm, I'm not qualified. And Nehemiah says, garbage on that says you're qualified. All right, last week, just a quick recap as we went through chapter 1. Here's what we saw. Was that renewal comes when we begin to get a burden for our cities. Excuse me. The burden comes when we begin to see things the way that God sees things. Nehemiah got the report in chapter 1 and he goes... And his heart is broken, but it's not just broken because he loves his city. His heart is broken because he begins to hear God's heart for Jerusalem. The next thing Nehemiah does and what we have to do is this. As we receive that burden, we've got to understand in the brokenness of our cities. We've got to understand even the brokenness of our homes. We've got to embrace that. Sometimes we hear that and we feel God's heart and we, we, we sense the burden, but we don't really get in the middle of the brokenness. Nehemiah had to get in the middle of the brokenness. He had to take it upon him. And as a matter of fact, when he goes to prayer in chapter 1, what he does is this, is he reminds God of who he is. You are the loving, powerful God who keeps his covenant with his people. But then he goes and says this, God, we have broken your heart. We have sinned against you. What is Nehemiah doing? He's owning the brokenness of the people of God. And in order for city renewal to come or home renewal to come, we've got to 
own the brokenness. If your marriage is broken, you need to own some of it. If the relationships with your children are broken, you need to own some of it. If your neighborhood is broken, you need to own some of it. If your workplace is broken, you need to own some of it. Why? Because the most powerful thing that happens in Nehemiah chapter 1 is this. God does not leave Nehemiah in the place of brokenness. He begins to infuse in him by the Spirit hope. Because when God asks us to see things the way he does and to take a burden on and to begin to say, yes, this is broken, immediately what happens is the hope and the restoration of God comes in to do something about it. And so the good news is this. If you can see brokenness in any area of your life or in your city or your neighborhood, God's called you to be hope. He's called you to be healing and restoration. And that's the good news. Today we're going to talk about collisions, collisions that happen in our life as we begin to stretch out and say, God, heal our city. God, heal our homes. You have your Bibles, you can open them up to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Not, it's on the screen, you can just read it off the screen as we read. Verse 1, in the month of Nisan... In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, what does your fa- why does your face look so sad and, why- and when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors were buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have... Letters to, to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me, when Sandabot and Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed and so, that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Here we see an interaction with Nehemiah before King Artaxerxes, and he is having several collisions that I want to talk to you about today, because these collisions are intended to to bring out something so amazing and powerful in our lives. The first collision that Nehemiah comes up against and that we'll come up against is this, the collision between our calling and our confirmation. Our calling and our confirmation. I don't know how many of you are up to speed on your Hebrew calendar, but in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah receives this burden in the month of Chislev. And here in chapter 2, we see him talking 
to the king in the month of Nisan. That is a four-month span of time that Nehemiah carries this burden and wrestles with this burden, this calling from God to do something before he gets the opportunity to make his request known before the king, an opportunity for him to go. And listen, understand what this means is this. There is a time when God puts on us a big, fat yes. Yes, I'm calling you. Yes, you are the person. Yes, I'm telling you to make a difference. And sometimes there is a period of time between that yes and the go. The go. We see it all throughout the Bible when we look at different people. We see it with Moses. That Moses goes and he labors in the wilderness and God has to do something that's radical that would would cause most of us to faint, which is to show up in a burning bush. What is he doing? He's confirming in Moses' life this calling that he feels and senses. Moses wrestled with it. What about Saul? Before he came, became Paul on the road to Damascus, he's riding on a donkey, and what does God do? Jesus literally shows up to him, knocks him off of his donkey, onto his donkey. It's a joke, all right? What happens? God, Jesus shows up to him and says, it says, listen, why are you hurting me? Why are you persecuting me? And here's what's happening is this, this calling and this confirmation is happening all at once for Saul now to be Paul. What about Esther? She got into the, she didn't even understand what, what God was doing and she, she rejected it. And her, her uncle had to come speak to her and say, maybe you've been created for such a moment as this. And that moment was to become the queen and to save the Jewish people from being killed. And that time between that calling and that confirmation, you see that. Even David went through it. He was anointed as a shepherd boy, called of God. But before he actually became king of Israel, he went through a lot of things. And see, here's the point of this, and this is why this is a collision It's because if you don't understand that the one who calls you is the one who confirms you, you might give up. You might stop going. You might stop moving forward. But the one who calls you is the one who confirms you. And Nehemiah wrestled with this. He wrestled with this. For four months, he carried this burden to the place where it was all over him when he got into the king's presence. The king noticed it. This is a real struggle, and God asks us to wrestle with it. And there's a reason why every one of us, God gives two callings. Our primary calling is to him. It's when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is our primary calling as we learn to love him. But then God asks us to be obedient, to go into the world. I've talked to people before that have felt and sensed that and even heard God speak to them about something, but somehow something's got disengaged between the point of being called and that confirmation. See, God wants us to keep going, not to get distracted or discouraged, to wrestle with this, to to really own it, to say, God, this is what you are calling me to do. And so he gives us different ways to confirm the things that he has called us to. For some of you today, you understand the calling of God on your life. You understand that he's asked you to be obedient to something and you're 
You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. You're wrestling with it. And what I want to say to you is this, is don't give up. Some of you understand that even in a more personal way with, your, with the relationships that you're in, don't give up. Don't give up. The one who has called you is confirming in you, don't give up. What do you do? You take that to prayer. You take that to prayer and you wrestle with it in prayer like Nehemiah did. God, you've called me. You've called me. You called me. I didn't put this burden on myself. I'm not choosing to see it this way, but God, you've, you've given me your perspective. I'm seeing the way you're seeing. God, you put this idea in my heart. You put this dream in my heart. God, I'm going to wrestle with this in prayer. And here's how God confirms our calling. He confirms it through the word of God. And this is why you need to be in the word of God while you wait. If you're, if you're wrestling with your calling and you're waiting for that to be confirmation, don't give up, but stay in the word. And this is one of the best values of the word of God. Why? Because everything in your calling will be confirmed through the word of God. And if you're confused about your calling, make sure it lines up in the word of God. God is not calling you to leave your spouse and to go to Africa. Why? Because it is not in the word of God. God is not calling you to be fearful when he deposits a big dream in you. Why? Because the word of God says something different. See that? So we have to go and we have to connect in with the word of God. We stay connected in prayer. We stay connected in relationship with trusted leaders and people in our life that are, want the best and believe the best about us. I can't stress this enough when it comes to this collision between calling and confirmation that you have to be in relationship with godly people. There have been times in my life that I felt God say something to me and being connected to the right people made all the difference. There have been times, I'm telling you, in my life where I have known God is saying to do something, and the minute that a godly leader came up to me and said, this is what God is saying, this is what I think, it was what set me in motion to go. We need to be connected in relationship with people who are like-minded, who believe God's best about us. But we have to wrestle with that collision. Nehemiah did that. He wrestled with that for four months before he had the opportunity present his request before the king don't give up if you can learn anything about that collision if that's you today and you say man that's me i'm in i'm in that that waiting zone don't give up commit it to prayer say god i believe the one who has called me is the one who will confirm me wrestle with it in prayer confirm it through the word of god and get around trusted people that god's put in your life and dare to share that let them encourage you in that let them push you toward that the next collision that we see is this, is prayer and action. Prayer and action. Oh, my goodness, this is so good. In verse 4 and 5, we see this interaction that happens between Nehemiah and Artaxerxes. It says this, verse 4, the king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I pray to the God of heaven and I answer the king if it pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Nehemiah, here in this collision right here, understands something, that there is a collision between prayer and action. I can just imagine this coming out of Nehemiah. 
as he stands before the king, and the king asks him this million-dollar question, what is it that you want? The scripture says this, that, that Nehemiah goes and he prays. Now, I don't believe this. If I could just take some liberty, I don't think that Nehemiah just paused out the king and said, can I have four to six days to pray on this? Just give me a minute. i got to get into my prayer closet. You know, he didn't do that. What he did, I believe with all of my heart, is he went back and he, he looked, and it's very clear, he looked to the God of heaven, the highest God, not the gods that were existent there in that kingdom that they were in Persia, but he looked to his God, the true God, and he said, God, you deposited this, this in my heart. You deposited this calling. Now help me to be bold. Help me to be bold because there's this collision between prayer and action that must happen. See, if we begin to understand that Everything we lift up in prayer is meant to have a tangible outcome. We would pray differently. If prayer in private led to deeds in public, we would pray differently. And when we begin to get a heart and a burden for the things that God's called us to, and listen again, let me personalize this because it may be your home, But it needs to be your community. It needs to be your school. It needs to be your workplace. It needs to be these areas. But as you begin to pray and say, God, will you move on whoever, on my coworkers, on my friends, on my husband, understand this. Your follow-up prayer say, God, whatever you tell me to do, give me the courage to do it. And Nehemiah understood this collision. And if we would say that, and if we would begin to believe that, our prayers would look different. To understand that God is mobilizing us. Why does God do this? Because it combines these two very, very powerful supernatural truths. The first is this. That nothing happens outside the presence of God. We have a better chance of a rock growing wings and flying away than any of our words or actions, just our words or actions, leading anybody to Jesus. Hear what I'm saying? You would have a better chance of your dog getting up, starting to talk, going to your neighbor's door and telling somebody about Jesus than thinking that our actions alone do anything to lead anybody to Jesus. What's the point? I think this is exactly what Nehemiah is saying here in chapter 2. He got asked the question. The question he waited four months to hear. And he goes and he says, God, I need your help because you are doing this. This is not something I'm doing in my natural self. And it combines this truth, this powerful truth, that we are dependent and we must be humble upon the presence of God. And we must go to prayer when it comes to anything that needs to be restored or renewed or rebuilt in our lives. We have to go. We have to beseech a holy God who loves us and knows us and remembers his covenant to us. And we have to say, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to move because I don't have the wisdom, the strength, or the ability to change anybody's hearts. Do you know that to be true? No matter what you speak to anybody about God or about Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. And the best way to tell somebody about Jesus is to pray for them earnestly first. But the second thing is this. The other side of the coin is this. As much as we are dependent upon God to move first, 
God chooses to use us to reach people. Jesus is not going to go knock on your neighbor's door. He's not. What Jesus has done is said, I choose you to go knock on your neighbor's door. Let me fill you with my love and the revelation of who I am and what I see about your neighbor and go in my power. And this is this collision between prayer and action that happens in Nehemiah's life. This is what we have to wrestle with. Because as we begin to own this and we begin to pray for the areas of our life and our city. And say, God, begin to move powerfully. Begin to draw men's hearts to you. God, begin to heal our land. Our follow-up prayers to say, God, use me. Show me where you're sending me. Holy Spirit, give me the power and the courage to speak the words that you call me to speak. Put me in those places. See, Jesus said this. This isn't a truth I'm making up. This is what Jesus said. And he taught us to pray. He taught us to pray for the harvest. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What is Jesus saying? Listen, I did the heavy lifting. I did the heavy lifting. I'm pulling people in. I just need people to be compelled to go out. Who will be obedient. Who will be fearless. This is what happens. Nehemiah did this. This is so beautiful. I, I love Nehemiah's reaction here. He sees it, and he goes and he does it. Give me a second to pray. All right, God, here's my moment. Let's go. I want to go rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. My heart's broken for my home. Religion number three, faith and planning. Faith and planning or sovereignty and responsibility. This is something right here that maybe we, we struggle sometimes a bit with is this collision between faith and planning. And here we see it with Nehemiah. In verse 6, when the king says, with the queen sitting behind him, asked me, how long will this journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. What did Nehemiah do is he took the faith that God had deposited in his heart and he came back with a plan. And I love this plan that Nehemiah just gives back because he came prepared. He did his homework. And for those of you who are planners, you're going to just smile from ear to ear. You're going to go, yes, I get it. This is me. Because Nehemiah lays out this plan. He says, well, if you're going to let me go, this is how much time it's going to take me. See, the king asked Nehemiah a difficult question. He said, how long is this going to take? And a lot of times our response would be like, well, I'm not really sure. It depends on what I face. No, Nehemiah had a plan. He set a time. He knew what he was doing. And then he goes, listen, if it pleases the king, I'm going to need some things. I'm going to need a little bit of favor. I'm going to need some wood to build, rebuild the city gates and to build the place where I'm going to stay. And, and I'm going to need some letters to get me from here to there so that I don't hit any flack with people I bump into. And you know what else I'm going to need is I'm going to need some workers and I'm going to need some security. Nehemiah had a plan to coincide with his faith. And in this collision in our life, here's what I'm going to suggest to you, is that if you're a person of faith, keep being a person of faith. And if you're a person of planning, stop it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you're a person of planning, keep being a person of planning. But you need each other. See, we need each other's gifts. Some of you understand that because you're married to a planner and you're a person of faith, or vice versa. You get that. Reality in your life. 
But we need each other. Let me, let me tell you what James says. Let me say it like this. I want to read to you a passage in the book of James. It's going to make some of you mad. James chapter 2, 14 through 18. It says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Hmm. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and, and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I show you my faith by my deeds. See, because I'm the kind of guy that just likes faith. I like faith. I'm the kind of guy that gets and says, man, God, I got got it. I got the picture. We're going to see big things happen. What's the next step? I don't know. I don't know. What do I need? I need people around me that can help me with the next step. Let me read to you another passage in the book of James. Chapter 1. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You believe me if I tell you that these two passages we read out of James, they, they, they lock up, they link up. And see, in our life, what, we, what it takes is for us to have that collision between great faith and great planning. When we talk about city transformation, what are we talking about? Where are we talking about going? What are we talking about doing? And whose lives are we talking about seeing transformed? And see, in the body, what God's done is he's connected people who are planners. And planners, this is what I want to say to you, is keep planning, but let faith rise in your heart. Don't be like that passage that we just read in James chapter 1. When things don't make sense, you become double-minded and you get off of what God is saying. But people of faith, let me say this to you. Keep pushing into faith. Keep pushing into faith. Keep pushing into faith. Why? Because somebody has to see. But understand this. You need people who can plan around you so that when it comes time to go, you know where you're going. And some of you, listen, husbands and wives, that's just a little bit of encouragement for you if you find yourself there. This collision happened, and Nehemiah handled this. He allowed the plan to come out, and this was in Nehemiah's gift mix, but faith had to be present there also. And we need both. We need both. Why? Because God is calling us to a big job. It takes eyes to see that, eyes of faith that, listen, we can't see in our natural self. We can't see city transformation. We can't see meth addicts being set free apart from the presence of God. We can't see people being restored and relationships being restored apart from having faith in our heart. But we need a plan. We have to have a plan. And that's what Nehemiah had. And the last collision is this. Justin, you come on up. 
as a collision between fear and courage. Fear and courage. And in Nehemiah's interaction with the king, we see this. In verses 2 and 3. See what Nehemiah was doing in carrying this burden potentially could result in losing his life. See, because to be sad before the presence of a king meant this, that the king's presence couldn't cheer you up. And it was a great offense, a great insult. And oftentimes when kings would see their servants who were sad in their presence, instead of asking them, what's up, what's wrong, how you feeling? They would just say, kill them. That's why Nehemiah, here he says, listen, as the king recognizes something, he says, I was very much afraid. Why was he afraid? Because he knew this could go only one of two ways. But the words that come out of Nehemiah's mouth next, as he begins to say this, he says, listen, why shouldn't I be sad? The city that I love is in ruins. He takes a step of courage and, and moves past fear into the place of courage to say, listen, if this means my life right now, I'm going to let you know what's in my heart and what God has called me to. And I, I want you to get, your, get a handle around that. Because sometimes we look past these details when we read the Bible and, and, and this one needs to come out. This collision needs to come out. Because if there's one thing that stops us from moving forward in city transformation and seeing revival and reformation come into our, our worlds, it's fear. But see, God hasn't called you to be afraid, to be fearful. He's given you courage. And the key with courage is this, is, is you got to step out on it. It's very much like faith. And I'd, I'd even give this to you, that this is what faith is, this collision between fear and courage. To step out into the unknown, to step out into the place that exceeds our comfortability, to, the place that maybe we fear rejection. It takes courage to live for Jesus today. It takes courage to be a godly boss some of you are in the position where you're leading people. It takes courage to be a godly boss, to stand up for what is right, to put the truth of God's law into your business. It takes courage. It takes courage to be a parent today. To say, I know what you're seeing out there, and I know what your friends are doing, but this is what God's called you to. This is the truth that we live our lives by. It takes courage to be in relationships. It takes courage to go and knock on your neighbor's door or build a relationship with your neighbor and to bridge that gap from just being a friendly neighbor to saying, listen, I want you to know about something that transformed my life. It takes courage. And this is what God's doing in us, this collision. And we have to step out on it by faith. Every time we choose courage, what we're saying is this is that, God, I believe that you can do this. I believe that you've called me to this. I believe that you've confirmed in my life this, and I believe that you're going to resource it. When we have the confirmation of our calling, why should we not step out in courage to what God's called us to do? And this is what Nehemiah does. 
earlier this morning, we mentioned this as we prayed for Paris, but I want to read this passage to you in 1 John 4, 18. It says this. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What do we do when we need the courage to step out in what God's calling us to do? Push into his perfect love. Hey, how do you get the courage to talk to your coworker or your neighbor about Jesus? Push into the perfect love that God has for them. Push into the perfect love that God has for them. How do you get the courage to supernaturally love somebody you're in relationship with that's hurting you? Push into the courage, into the love that God has for them. Because in that place, listen, fear is dispelled. Let, let, let me just explain it just a little simpler. When I can see my neighbor the way that Jesus sees them, I'm going to speak what Jesus says about them. When I can see my spouse the way that Jesus sees them, I'm going to speak the truth of what Jesus says about them. That's the perfect love of the Father. And this morning as we close, you, you may have found yourself in one of those collisions or all of those collisions, but I pray this, that you would keep pushing on and say, God, this burden that you've given me, and if, and if you don't have a burden, if you're a son or daughter of God and you don't have a burden for your city, you need to pray. You need to pray and say, God, you love this city, so, so help me to love this city the way you do. Show me your thoughts for this city, my neighborhood. I'm being serious, that needs to be your prayer, and if it's not, listen, it needs to be. It needs to be. If it's not your prayer, if you're a son or daughter of God, and that's not your prayer for your neighbor, it needs to be. It needs to be. This morning as we close, I, I want to pray this over you, is the courage to stand and the courage to go. The courage to stand up for the things that God's called you to and the courage to go. Let's stand to our feet. And God loves this city. Mm. God loves this city. God loves Port Natchez Groves High School. He loves Nederland High School. God loves the students there. God loves the refineries in our community. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for the courage or to be a people who are called by your name. Stand up, Father God, and to, to hear your heart and to take, Father God, what you're saying about the places you've called us and to, to own those, God. And Holy Spirit, as we do, Father God, as we begin to see the way that you see, Holy Spirit, just fill our hearts with hope. Fill our hearts with the revelation of your love for the places you've put us. Holy Spirit, empower us to go, to go, to go, to go. Lord, I thank you in this room that there are lives that every person here represents, Lord, lives being transformed. Lord, that you've called and, and Father, you are confirming, Lord God, things that you've put in people's lives, Lord God. And just begin to let their hearts be joyful over those things, I pray right now. Father, we just receive that from you right now. 
this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that first calling that I talked about, about knowing that love, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know the wonderful love of Jesus, and today you want to know that, I just want you to slip up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray a prayer with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for the wonderful gift that you gave us at the cross. And Jesus, we receive that gift. We thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we love you. We adore you. Amen. 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 I'm going to invite Pastor Ken and Jeannie and Keith and Carol, come on up. If you need prayer this morning for anything, Pastor Ken said earlier, if you're walking through something in your physical body that you need healing for, we want to pray with you. Or you're walking through anything in your life that you just need somebody to come in agreement with, we want to lift you up. We love you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being such a wonderful and generous and great people. God is doing powerful things through you and through this house. We love you so much. Have a great week. We look forward to seeing you this week at small groups and next Sunday evening and next Sunday as we do our night of thankfulness. Have a great, great week.